I think we should take that advice. Every time you feel the Spirit, you should pray. Maybe God's got something to tell you. Maybe that's why you're feeling the Spirit. Don't do what I do sometimes, which is turn it off and say, uh, I don't want to hear that right now. Because, we, you know, we all do that. So today's Mother's Day, so I'm going to uh, take advantage of this platform. And I'm going to introduce you to my mom. My mom, Marilyn Frances Smith, was born on 20th of June, 1929. She was the fourth child and only girl of my grandparents, William and Emily Schmidt, good second-generation German Catholics. I actually don't know anything about my mom up till about 16. I don't know many very stories. But about 16 years old, um, she developed a slight limp. And at the time, doctors couldn't really diagnose what that was. It wasn't too bad, but just a, kind of a weak leg. My dad was friends with her three older brothers. And the story goes that my mom pestered and pestered and pestered and pestered my dad for a date. And he said no. He didn't want to date the little sister of his friends. So my mom was determined. She, was, she had one of those spirits. And she, uh, she finally got him to say yes. It took a couple years. So on their first date, they went out. They lived in Chicago. They went out to the Drake Hotel and saw Nat King Cole perform. Isn't that cool? You could go out to a hotel and see, like, Nat King Cole. I'm so jealous. And they had a wonderful first date of listening to music and dining and dancing and all that stuff you used to do in the 50s, right? Actually, it was the 40s at this time, in the 40s. And uh, my dad asked her to marry her that night. Because back in that day, that's what you did. <laughs> One date, you get married. So in 1949, Marilyn Frances Schmidt became... Marilyn Goldman. Did that throw you? My last name's Mann. Or the, she can't get Marilyn Goldman. See, my dad, his real name was Ray Catterall Goldman. And everyone called him Dave. I don't know why. It wasn't his name. <laughs> I, I think there was a cousin or somebody named Dave or an uncle they liked better than him. I, who knows? But when my eldest sister was born in 1950, uh, my mom, being a good German Catholic, didn't want a Jewish name on the children because in 1950 there was quite a lot of anti-Semitism. Uh, and so my dad and mom talked, what are we going to call the kids? What are we going to have our name? And they picked man because it's sort of a compromise between the German or the Yiddish. More kids came, a girl in 56, another girl in 59, and then my mom got it right and had a boy. <laughs> I still have that same look on my face most of the time, don't I? That's kind of my look. Had it since I came out of the womb going, really? You may notice that there were six years between uh, my first sister and the next one, and then between my youngest sister and I. My mom loved kids, and she uh, had uh, several miscarriages due to health issues. But she really loved kids. And we're convinced that in 1950, she was taking 1950s fertility drugs, and we're convinced that those things had uranium-238 in them, because all of us are all sick and have all sorts of medical issues, and we blame mom for this. The limp that mom had got worse. It was determined to be multiple sclerosis, and it progressed slowly through the years. When mom was pregnant with me, she was 35 years old, and the story, I just learned a story about a year ago. Uh, her doctors were very, very, very concerned that if she went full term with me, that her MS would 
be exponentially worse. And so they advised her to have an abortion and live her life out the best she could. Well, remember, my mom's a German Catholic. So not only did she say no, but she said it very uh, uh, aggressively. I was born on a Tuesday, October 21st, 1964. My sisters locked my mom out of the house and wouldn't let her come in once they found out it was a boy because they had convinced themselves that it would be a girl named Dawn Marie Mann. Thank you, God, that I was not a girl. Could you imagine going through life with the name Dawn Marie Mann? But my sisters are Donna, Doreen, Diane, and Dawn. For a while, they called me Dawn, and I was too small to do anything about it. I was glad the day I grew big enough and they stopped doing that. But unfortunately, the doctors were right. After mom had, had me, uh, she never walked again. Her, you're a slide or two ahead there, Pat. She, uh, she went from being in a walker where she could take a few steps to being in a wheelchair or a chair to being completely bedridden. And she lied in that bed for 20 years. When mom was home for a short period, we, she needed a lot more care than my dad honestly could give her or afford to give her. And so she was sentenced to nursing homes. We would visit on Sundays, but my father would go to jail, and we would be put in foster care, and we would be separated from her. We would not be able to see her, and this was for years at a time. I was lucky in 1982, I was going to school at the University of Missouri, and a fraternity brother of mine was going to Chicago for Thanksgiving, so I hitched a ride with him. And I got to see my mom. Uh, she didn't remember me. Her mind had started to dissipate. She was telling me, though, about this son of hers that she had from all the letters I had written her, and wasn't he the greatest guy since popcorn? I agreed. <laughs> I hadn't seen her since 1979, and it was the last time I'd see her this side of heaven. Two years later, she died of complications from a ruptured bowel. You can see how the MS ravaged her at the end. I share this story on Mother's Day to tell you what sacrificial love looks like. My mother sacrificed all her dreams, her health, her entire future for me. It's certainly not something I'm worthy of. And I wouldn't want her to do it. If I could go back, I'd say, Mom, are you, are you kidding me? Don't do this. I feel, I feel sorry for my sisters. They had, a, they had a mom who was functional. And they watched her decline. See, I, I only know a sick mom. I never had a healthy mom. But she chose me. And I know that mom would do it again. If she had the choice, she'd choose us. It was a conscious decision. She had informed consent on doing this. And she would do it knowing that she would suffer cockroach-infested nursing homes, strokes, paralysis, dementia, isolation without visitors, and eventually a slow, miserable death. There's another mother who suffered. Her name was Mary. In Luke 1.26, Scripture tells us that God sent Gabriel the angel to her. And she's a virgin pledged to be married to Joseph, as you know. And Gabriel says, Mary, you are highly favored or highly esteemed. 
And then scripture says, Mary was greatly troubled. You think? Here's an angel saying, you're a virgin, but you're going to be with child. You name this child Jesus. And she's wondering, how is this going to happen? Are you kidding? Really? But Gabriel explains, the Holy Spirit will come upon her, and the power of the Most High will overshadow her. And this is an important theological point. The Holy Spirit and the power of God will overshadow her, meaning that Jesus incarnate in the womb would be sinless because Mary's sin was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And we have a woman, probably 15, 16 years old, who's pregnant while engaged. While it would be joyful to be called by God for something that spectacular, like being the mother of the Messiah, it's the beginning of Mary's suffering as well. How is she going to explain a pregnancy to Joseph, her parents, the community? Remember, these are tight-knit communities in the first century. Who's going to believe a story? Oh, yeah, the angel came down and, and God did this to me. She would be instead ostracized from both her family and community. Worse, she could be stoned for the offense of having relations outside of marriage when she was patrolled to another. When Mary shares the news with Joseph, Scripture tells us in Matthew 1.19 that he planned to divorce her quietly so as to reduce the shame, he says, for Mary. He did that to reduce the shame for himself a bit as well. And it took the appearance of an angel to Joseph for him to change his mind about that. But to Joseph's credit, he trusted the Lord. And they all lived happily ever after, right? No, you know that it's much, much more complicated than that. On the eighth day, Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple for circumcision and to be blessed. That's what they do. And at the temple was a righteous man named Simeon, to whom God had promised, you will see the Messiah before you die. Upon seeing Mary and Joseph and Jesus, Simeon immediately recognizes them as the Messiah. And here's the blessing he gives the boy and her mother and his mother in Luke 2, 34-35. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul, too. I don't think Mary really understood that blessing, but it's not the most uplifting blessing you would give an eight-day-old child. You know, Simeon's basically saying, Jesus, you will be controversial, an adversary of many whose hearts are not right with the Lord, and Mary, you're going to be heartbroken, too. Now go on your merry way. At this time, Mary could not possibly know what we know today, that Jesus would crush the serpent's head, as depicted in Genesis 3.15, yet have his heel bruised, by the serpent, which depicts Jesus' suffering, death on a cross, and ultimate victory and resurrection. Now think about this. I can only imagine Mary's pride as she saw Jesus out there with 10,000 people hanging on his every word. A mother's pride in, in her son. There's nothing like it. And I can't imagine her pain as Jesus is arrested, scourged, nailed to a cross, to die a torturous death in front of her eyes. Yet, like my mom, I don't think Mary would want to go back in time and tell Gabriel, no, no, you got the wrong girl. God chose her for this mission, and she loved Jesus. She loved him as her son, and she loved him as her savior. 
she would overcome whatever pain would come with that. And she would endure it. This, friends, is what Jesus is talking about when he gives us a new command in John 13, 34. Telling each of us to love each other as he loved us. Jesus sacrificed everything for you. Imagine for a second you're Jesus. I know it's hard, but just think about this. You're the son of God in heaven, yet you agree to empty yourself of the independent use of all your divine authority and power. You come to earth and live among men as an incarnate. They hate you, and their end goal is to torture you and kill you. Oh, by the way, you have to have momentary separation from God, too, while you take on the sins of the world. You going to raise your hand for that? Jesus did. And he did it because he loves you so much and is so eager to spend eternity with you that he sacrificed everything. I always shake my head when Christians say, I'll give all to Jesus. Really? You'd give all. Well, if it were a painless death and it was quick, you bet. Let's all go to heaven. But would you... Give all if it meant paralysis or being brain dead in a vegetative state, lying there, being kept alive by machines with a stomach tube feeding you? Would you give all to Jesus under those circumstances? Would you give everything you own? And I mean everything. All your stuff, all your money, your retirement, everything. Would you give that to Jesus if he left you with nothing and you're on the side of the road with a sign begging for scraps? Would you give... Jesus, everything, if you had to suffer emotionally, lose people before their time, have nobody, and be completely alone. Would you agree to do that for Jesus? See, in our hearts, we want to say yes. You know, we really want to say yes, we'll do everything for Jesus. But folks, in our lives, we can't even change our lifestyle for Jesus. How in the world can we follow him to the cross? In fact, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody, don't we get in the sanctuary and we pray for relief of all the things that God has going on in our lives? I'm sick. God, I got a sniffle. Help me with my cold. We're always praying to God to relieve us of anything uncomfortable. That's not quite meeting him at the cross. Jesus told us to follow him, and it would not be easy. Now, as if love your enemies... Pray for those who persecute you, and don't judge. We're not hard enough. Jesus tells us that we must lose our lives to save them. Storing up our treasures in heaven, not on earth. What he means is that we must not put our trust and faith on our health, our wealth, our emotional well-being, or any, anything else this world values. Instead, you must be willing to die to all of it. And that means that you have to be willing to die to yourself enough to love people sacrificially. And I mean sacrificing, sacrificing your time, sacrificing your talents, sacrificing your treasure. And that, in turn, stores up treasure in heaven. I am the first one to raise my hand in the church and say, I need to do better at this. Many of you know Lisa and I, uh, you know, we spend a lot of our time and talents and treasure in the church. But here's a secret that I don't share with many people. We do it out of our wealth. We don't do it sacrificially. We don't have kids 
So we have a lot of time to spend. We're not, we're not like, like soccer parents driving kids around and stuff. We don't have that. Could you imagine being Rebecca Vesey? That would just be insane. Six children to drive around. I just don't, I don't know how they do it. There's not a lot of demands on our talents, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but not a lot of demands, so we can meet those pretty easily. It's pretty, pretty comfortable when people ask us to actually physically do things. Like Josh Meyer used to ask me to physically help him move a dresser. The problem was he left before I got there, and I, you know, I, I, maybe he just wanted me to move it alone, but uh, it was one of those great psych moments. And, you know, I left my full-time job to go into ministry work full-time, and I, I lost a lot of money. But Lisa and I are in no way hurting financially. We're very, very comfortable. And when we give, we don't give it with much struggle. Is that love, or am I doing this out of convenience? And the answer is yes. Last week, I got to see uh, this story in the Internet that really shows us what sacrificial giving was. A homeless man was attending a church service in Charlotte, North Carolina. The offering plate went around, and all he had was 18 cents. And he put it in an envelope. Pat, can you show that next slide? And he says, please, let's see what it says. Please don't be mad. I don't have much. I'm homeless. Stunning, convicting, embarrassing. Very much like the widow's mite. She, she had two coins to put in, and Jesus said, you have just seen someone give everything they had because she gave out of her poverty. She is righteous, not the people who give out of their wealth and give their tenth as if it's nothing. What about you? Are you loving Jesus and others sacrificially, or are you like me? And doing so out of your wealth of time, talent, and treasure when it's comfortable. I think this is a big question and one we're going to see on the final exam when we get in front of Jesus. It's something I'm struggling with personally right now. I'm involved in a lot of new ministries. And it's fantastic. Yet, it's demanding a lot more of my time, a lot more of my talent to be involved with, with very difficult situations and dysfunctional situations and yes, my money. Will I say yes to Jesus at the expense of personal time with Lisa, of which I don't feel I have enough anyway? Will I spend the money even though it eats into my savings and retirement if it means that someone else will literally eat? Do I have enough faith and trust in God to live sacrificially? to love sacrificially. I'm trying to, I'll be honest, I'm trying to, but I'm a work in progress. I think I'm heading in the right direction. Jesus tells us that people will know that we are his disciples by the way we love one another. Jesus also tells us that the way to love is like he loved us, sacrificially. Thus, people will know we follow Jesus if they see our sacrificial love. I mean, it's pretty easy, right? Is that what people see when they look at Christians? Is that what people see when they look at Calvary Baptist Church? Is that what they see when they look at you and me? So I have a challenge for you today. Pick this day, Mother's Day 2015, to begin your quest to love sacrificially. 
here's some ideas on how you start. Sacrifice yourself by forgiving anyone who has done you wrong. Anyone. That includes, this may be difficult for some of you, if you think God has done you wrong. Sacrifice yourself by not being offended all the time. Let it go. It's not about you. Sacrifice yourself by loving those with whom we disagree, even when they're wrong. <laughs> Sacrifice yourself by abiding by God's words, even when you don't like it or even agree with it. Sacrifice yourself. Sacrifice yourself by submitting to one another in your marriages. Lisa and I, that is, we're both kind of stubborn. And that's one of the hard ones for us is to really submit to one another when we're, when we're disagreeing. And when she's wrong. <laughs> Sacrifice yourself by accepting other people as God's children instead of judging them for their actions and their performance. Sacrifice yourselves by pouring yourself into another person instead of just writing the check. It is so much easier just to write the check, isn't it? It's not messy. Just send a check. God calls us to pour ourselves into each other. Sacrifice yourself by giving until it hurts instead of giving unless it hurts. And sacrifice yourself by admitting it's not about you. None of this is about you. It's about Jesus. It's about glorifying him. So this is the 30th Mother's Day I've spent without my mom. And uh, I miss her. Jesus gave me something, though. If, if I had one thing to ask for, could I see her again? And I get that. I'm going to see her walk. I'm going to learn who she is. And I'm going to ask her, what the heck were you thinking about the last name man? You could have picked anything. Von Altmann, the Hausmann, all sorts of great cool names. My sister and I are really mad about this. <laughs> My mother chose to sacrifice her life for mine. And every day I live with that burden and the gift. Jesus Christ sacrificed his life for mine. And every day I live with that burden and that gift. I think the least I can do, the least I can do is be intentional to do my best about loving others as sacrificially as they loved me. On this Mother's Day, will you do any less? And all God's people said, Amen.